Well, it's getting a bit chilly here in the UK, but only two more weeks until the shortest day, well, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. And if you've worked your way through every decent film or box set and you're looking for something to keep you company over the long nights and the holidays ahead, well, we've close to 170 podcast episodes to choose from. I'm Matthew Grant, but I'm handing over to Robin Mertens in a minute, talking to Christian Veens, CEO and co-founder of GetSafe. Now, GetSafe was founded in Germany in 2015, but is now operating in the UK. And you're going to be finding out what is behind the company's growth and how and why it moved from an MGA to an insurer. Get ready to find out more about coverage as diverse as home contents, dog liability, bike theft, drones, personal motor, and a lot more. And in a world where the use of the term insurtech has become so broad it's at risk of becoming almost meaningless, GetSafe is an example of a company that has delivered on two of the ideas behind the original concept of insurtechs as a new face of insurance. They're targeting the younger generation and they're selling through a mobile app. As always, you can find a summary of the questions and the answers on our website, www.instec.london. We're taking a rest from live and digital events here at Instec until the end of January, a chance for Robin, myself and the team to finish off our homework and get ready to release four more reports early in 2022. Now, if you aren't already a corporate member or talking to us about being one and you're curious to find out why others are, then please do track me down on LinkedIn, Matthew Grant or any of us, hello at instec.london to find out how we can help you see through that complexity, share your stories of the world and perhaps find your next partners whether you're buying or building great technology, data, and analytics. Well, welcome back to our regular listeners of the Instech London podcast. If you've not um, joined us before, you're very, very welcome. We have an InsureTech rock star with us, and we'll talk about rock stars a bit later on. But we've got Christian Deans with us. Um, he is the co-founder of GetSafe. Christian, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi, Robin. Great to be here. Now, you founded GetSafe with Marius Seaman back in 2015. That's sort of the start of the great sort of insure tech scene. And it was a broker first, and then you became an MGA, and then in 2020 you applied to become a, a full-stack insurer. I, I'm intrigued to know whether you always intended to sort of go through that route, or you were sort of changed your minds during the course of the whole evolution of GetSafe? We changed our minds on, on many, many aspects, but that is one we didn't because I remember our first pre-seed deck that we shared with investors before even thinking about launching a product, but just with the idea where we kind of pictured the steps from starting as a broker. We knew that we wanted to be a full-stack, fully licensed insurance company we didn't plan the timeline, though, but now we're here and now we are. We get just get fully licensed. I guess you must have sworn partly to yourselves about the wire card. They must have made your life getting the application from Baffin a whole lot more difficult than it was originally. That is right. Yeah. I mean, we knew that an application process. I mean, we I speak for Germany now. I mean, you know, the British market way better, which is another complexity for us. Right. As we are live in the UK and Germany. Um, we decided to go to the UK with a, as an MGA while still getting our license in, in Germany from BaFin that we then can passport to the EU. But now, of course, UK and EU are not the same thing anymore. Um, so that made like 
the, this whole regulation thing in Europe think could have been easier for us. But at the end of the day, um, I would say that what you mentioned, the wire card problem, but also some, some first experiences that Bafin, the regulator had with first generation insurtechs that got a license that were not only on the positive side that made the process probably double as long as it needed to be like instead of let's say 10 months or so it was like rather 18 it was pretty long but at the end of the day we knew what we wanted to have and that ultimately one day we would get it from them are you going to be you know germany or europe's lemonade is that your you know are you are you on your way to multi-billion pound valuations doing this i don't like the direct comparison in the sense that i think we build get safe with an idea in mind and yes this idea i think has some specifics you can't compare all insurtechs everybody has their approach and what connects us to to lemonade for example there are very few companies that are really having this credo i think in their businesses that the insurance game is interesting when you can kind of grab customers when they're really new to the industry when you're not switching policies from one carrier to the other and going into this price war and what it is, but you're really bringing new people or giving new people access to the world of insurance. And that's people that have an expectation for a customer experience that they're used of from, from many other services for them. It's, it's kind of unlikely to go to an advisor or a broker's office. And I think this is what connects us uh, with Lemonade and that is what we are not agnostic about, right? And I think many, many insurtechs also over the years have become very agnostic about we don't care which business is coming. The important thing is that it's profitable and we can grow. And for us, it's very specific to have a, a, a persona, a person in mind, which problem we want to solve to make kind of access to insurance easier. And that was my personal problem before starting Get Safe because I didn't buy the insurance that I needed. Then I had a claim that was pretty big. And so I figured out that people need a better way when they drop out of university or so to immediately get great access to the world of insurance. You're on your way to lemonade sort of valuations because you've just raised 93 million. Was that dollars or euros? That's probably dollars, yeah. What did you tell your investors you were going to spend all that money on? It's probably also not the the last uh, round um, that GetSafe will be raising. What we are doing is, I think, a lot of building a lot of infrastructure, an infrastructure that now going forward with a license also in place lets us build the insurance company of the future for the generation of the future. And the generation of the future for me means, first of all, this access to insurance, that first step, but then the generation of millennials, for example, is much more likely to install smart home devices in their home using a digital health features or devices on the iPhone. They're just much more likely to share data, to connect things in their life digitally through sensors. And now the money that we raised um, is to grow that, uh, not just in Germany, not just in the UK, also in other markets. Uh, plus, of course, as we are a licensed carrier now, we need money for that as well, right? And uh, the PNC license, which we just got, will not be the last license that we will have applied for. We definitely will go also into life and health as our proposition to customers is that we are their one-stop brand for all things protection and insurance over time as they're building their insurance coverage, right? They're pretty young, so they don't need everything from the beginning. 
Um, so that was the split of money growth, also in Europe, plus regulatory capital. Your model is to go directly to the customer, isn't it? You, you're not using any form of intermediary. You, you're creating a brand that they're aware of, and they'll come to you because they think you're the one who can sort their problems out. Is, is that right? I mean, and I, I make that observation because you're not the first to go that route, and it's expensive, and it's hard to build a brand. How's that going? And that's a great point. I always believe that the world of insurance has been way too transactional. So people are fighting for selling a policy to a customer. For me, the beauty of insurance is building a relationship with a customer that is forever. And like my grandpa turned 100 this year uh, in January, I was sitting there with him and he showed me his, the policies he bought really 75 years ago from a big insurer in, in Munich. And he still has these policies and probably that didn't change. He was, he was okay with them. I think that is the opportunity, right? But if you do that, you can't be too transactional. And I see too many insurtechs being too quick in, um, of course, pivoting from B2C to B2B2C or selling software or something. Um, but I think that we need companies like GetSafe that for growing demographic of customers is building the direct model that they expect. But for me, the direct model under the bonnet is also the only model that can really create innovation. Why? Because suddenly everything is connected. We see all the data along the customer journey are in one system. We see when somebody looks at a policy, we can retarget them to buy the second policy. We know what happens before a claim, during a claim, all this kind of stuff. And I think the foundation for all innovation is, is data and knowing where you want to go and being able to connect your systems with other systems. So yes, it's super expensive. And for us, harder sometimes to be so idealistic, not too opportunistic, and we could probably have raised more money. Um, but we're still here and believing in it. And I think we need some companies that do that. And I hope they will survive, of course, and, and be big. And in the UK, Bjorn, you've got a slightly different route. So you started uh, with contents uh, and you went to the aggregators. That seems to have worked well for you. I mean, you've built up quite a good book of business in quite a short period of time. We also want to um, live in, in, in the reality here and now, right? And we know the reality is that aggregators in some markets are very important channels that people trust. So for us, it was clear that although being direct, uh, it's clear that we also need to embrace the reality of the market before being able to access more channels. And of course, we that's not the only channel we have in the UK, of course, being on aggregators. But it's what we started with. And yes, it's working pretty well. But of course, I think the ultimate goal for us is what we do here in Germany. We do TV advertising and everything is being in the London tube, is being on TV, is being all over the, the place with out-of-home advertising to really be that challenger insurance, not challenger bank, but very similar from the, the proposition, challenger insurer for a certain yeah, generation or digital native customers. And you'll go on presumably to want to be a full stack insurer here if if you can battle your way through the regulatory implications of trying to transfer your license. Yeah, I think that will be possible. So there is an agreement already in place. And so it will be possible to passport the EU license to the UK. It's not super urgent for us, but we will do it. Yeah. And then internationally, so you're Germany, obviously, where you come on leaps and bounds, the UK, where you've made a good start. Where else would you be going after that? You're all over Europe. Uh, so the question is the order and priorities you set internally on the roadmap. 
the funny fact for me is that, and that is different in the U.S., that in this case, regulation is not the constraint, right? So the regulation in the EU is super easy for a fintech or insurtech once you have the national license. And Bafin is a very well-respected regulator, of course, throughout Europe also, that makes it even easier. You can sell everywhere. So the complexity for us comes by the fact that the basic needs of protection are the same everywhere in the world, we believe. But of course, how you bundle products, distribution channels, some specific regulation can defer, and you need to customize for every market, and that makes it slower. Now, I read somewhere that you're up to 150 or so employees, and you've now, as we talked earlier, you got your hands on, on a considerable amount of money. And then it raises this question, because I've, I've been a founder myself, or been nothing like as successful as you. As this gets to be bigger, and you more and more accountability to more and more stakeholders, Do you thrive on that or um, do you occasionally wake up in the morning and go, my God, this is a really big responsibility. What did I get myself into? Maybe you have the founders that are naturally born managers and CEOs and kind of thrive more in that, on that aspect of the role. For me, it's, it's still feeling a lot like a founder and learning to be a good CEO and learning must be a quick curve. So I think that it really is true that the company is very dependent from your personal development as a CEO, right? If you um, do a strategy wrong, executive hiring wrong, like the whole company suffers because they're executing on a wrong strategy or so, or you took the wrong high-level decision, you pitched the company the, the wrong way to investors. So I think it's super important, but it's definitely mixed feelings in the sense that it's exciting, but also a lot of work for me. If the company doubles in, in, in team size every six months or so, of course, you probably, you have a totally different organization after six months and you need to be a different, different kind of CEOs with different uh, challenges. So it's a challenge, but of course, I love to do it because I love learning. You've got to a point now where you will attract the attention of what I call the unicorn hunters. In other words, I think our venture market at the moment is really hard if you're early stage but if you've made it as you palpably have then it's not difficult to find money I, I'm, i'm really interested in your observations about the dynamics of the venture market right now where is the money coming from uh, there seems to be a lot of new entrants into the sector then i see another dynamic which i, I i'm sort of interested to discuss which is exits, family money, people who've made money elsewhere being attracted back into helping a next generation of entrepreneurs. There's a lot in there, but but what, what, what could you tell us about your experience of raising money and where the good sources of money are? Generally speaking, I see fundraising becoming a much quicker game than it was 45 years ago. It's hard to say where it get, gets easier. I think it's never easy in the sense that Uh, only the very few fill the news feeds, uh, right? And the, and the newspapers with the, with the big mega rounds. But if you think about it, it's just the way less than 1% of, of the national startups that, that you have. Early stage is easy. So really early stage. I mean, pre-seed, seed. And later stage, I'm with you is, is easier because there's a lot of capital and you have proven your business model. So much more broader spectrum of investors coming also from the PE world sometimes that that can invest, you can go public. And the middle is the challenge for me. If you start in Europe, if you survive the middle, like 
what we probably just did, then that's important. And and then you ask on the ecosystem kind of question. For me, that's one of my passion topics because I believe that we have not such a well-functioning ecosystem than the U.S., also because in terms of startup world, venture capital world, we are definitely 10 years behind the U.S. I think COVID is a great opportunity for us because things globalize even more. But still, of course, we didn't have so many successful founders as in Silicon Valley or New York and so on. That's why not that much money can go back into the ecosystem. But it starts to happen more and more and more. And what I find great is that I don't know almost any founder that isn't doing it, right? I, I know very few founders that are having an exit or selling shares and not reinvesting it in, in startups, but rather doing just real estate or so. So I think this is great. The concept is understood, but of course we need much more success stories and sizable exits. Do you think we're losing ground on the US in terms of creating um, an ecosystem for innovation? I, I say that because having spoken to a few funds recently, they're increasingly saying it's harder and harder to find the next thing in the UK or Europe. We're shopping more and more in the US where we're seeing more and more genuine innovation rather than, you know, what we call digital lipstick on a legacy pig here. Do you think that's right? If you ask American investors, they would probably say the opposite. But they have another starting point. They really want to drive innovation. They feel what it's like to be the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Teslas. They're all coming from there. They don't want to lose ground. Right? They want to also fund the next generation of these mega companies that really define society, economy, and everything. And I think for them, it's rather the perspective that, especially with COVID now, especially also it depends on a lot of on politics and regulation, also, right, in fintech, insurtech, crypto, in this whole kind of Web3 world. And so so I think their uh, politics and regulation are super important and can create a competitive advantage, right? So they are challenger banks that maybe have been founded in Russia or so. And for them, it was easier to do it than people that started them in Germany because regulation was harder. So for me, that is on on a big scale, right, on a smaller scale and smaller investors or individual investors, it might be case by case, depending on the industry. But on a big scale, um, I see it rather positively. And I see that also the rise of the remote world, remote fundraising, working, founding from everywhere is rather an opportunity, not just for Europe, of course, also for Asia, Africa, yeah. and, and weakens the US a little bit. I'm going to change subject completely because uh, my researchers tell me that you're a very accomplished guitarist. I was. I spent all my, my whole youth uh, playing guitar uh, at competitions. By the way, classical guitar, not so much the rock star. I do that, but it was more playing Bach and, and, uh, and classical music on guitar. I did that a lot. I hear it's not unknown for you when you're really bored at a meeting and someone's droning on, is to pick up your guitar and, and start playing as if to say, you know, I, I'm, it's time to move on, change the subject. Do you do that? Because I think it's a brilliant idea. I think we should get you along to our meetings. Unfortunately, I don't do that at all. People even ask me to play guitar here in the in the company more. And, and where, you know, the point is that I think I see that curve with people that maybe are a little bit younger or older than me or so. You have a hobby and then you lose it for kind of the intense, uh, serious part of your life. And then you reinvent yourself and find it again. 
Uh, I think it seems a little bit similar for me. I still play, but just as a hobby on the sideline. But the idea is not bad, also because I love craziness, creativity, being influenced by people from totally different fields. Um, I love that. Um, I think especially in the fintech world, we don't have enough of that. Um, so, yeah, good idea, but I don't have the guitar here, so must disappoint you. Well, well next time I interview you with your post-unicorn status, I might get you to do a little ditty for us. But I've got one more question. Somebody I know well has heard you doing uh, rapping in Italian. Now, where does the rapping in Italian come from? I'm half Italian. And uh, I made a lot of music. Uh, so my, my mother is from Italy and I grew up bilingually and studied in Italy for years. That might be the reason. But uh, again, I normally don't do that in, in public as well. I, I rap under the shower just for myself. I love that idea. Among the many ways we seek to influence the insure tech community, I will not rest until I've heard you rapping uh, at some point. Uh, <laughs> Christian, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to us. Well done to you and all your colleagues with what you've done with uh, Get Safe. We would be thrilled if we could help you here in the UK and, and, of course, further afield as well. We wish you luck on the journey. I make that same commitment. When you've raised that unicorn round, come back and tell us all about it. We'd love to hear from you again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, that's almost it for today. But hearing that discussion between Robin and Christian reminds me to mention to you that over half of our listeners come from outside of the UK, 25% from the US, 20% from Europe, and 5% everywhere else. Matthew Grant or Robin Mertens via LinkedIn or hello at instec.london. London.